Check, check, and we are mic'd up and ready to rock and roll. At this time, yeah, here we go. Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Keto Lamor, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Birsha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, Shemember, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, if you were wondering. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidim, the Salt Sea. For twelve years they had been subject to Kedor Lamer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedor Lamer and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephaites in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Mm. Shavei, Kirathaim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, in case you're wondering, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites who were living in Hazazon, Tamar. Okay, let's skip down to verse 11. Okay, it's gonna it's gonna read. You're gonna hear the names repeated again of these kings, but verse eleven is gonna give us a nice little summary. Okay, the four kings <laughs> seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off, and this is the key point: plot thickens. They carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. One who had escaped, one who had escaped, came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre and Amorite, a brother of Eshkel and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative, that is Lot, had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and all the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Kedorlamer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of, most, of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Sounds like a pretty good deal. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre. Let them have their share. That was a lot. That was a lot. Wasn't it? But I'm going to give you a quick summary of what just happened. Basically, you have Lot from last week. Remember, they divide up the land. Abraham takes a certain portion of the land of Canaan. Lot goes down into this lush valley with all this money. He lives in the, in the city called Sodom. 
And there's this beautiful valley where the water flows through in a beautiful river and there's, there's greenery all around. And it's a really important trading route because it makes sense they would trade down a river, right? So this is where a lot of money was made. And the kings who lived in that valley had been conquered years before. The ones who controlled all the money at the time, all the flow of goods up and down this river. They had been conquered by four kings from the north. Okay? People, these people living in the north, the land north of this area. Now, they decided, the five kings who were down in this valley, this lush valley, they decided, you know what? We want some cash for ourselves. Not going to happen. So what they did was they rebelled. So they started to attack the, those who were taking you know, the taxes, were collecting those taxes, and they rebelled against these kings that owned the land who lived up north. Well, the kings up north, as you might imagine, were like, nuh-uh. You're not doing that. We, that's our money. That's our land. That's our money. We already conquered that. So we're going to come and we're going to reconquer it. So they, these four kings from up north gather their, their armies. They're ready for battle. And they come down this valley and they start attacking and they conquer city after city. That was those words you heard, those big words. They're you know, cities you've not really ever heard of before. And they're taking the cities. They're, I mean, they are taking names like crazy. They're beating everybody. So it's just a total rout. Okay, so that's what's happening here. And Lot, because he's living in the city of Sodom, he gets captured. His whole family gets sold into slavery. And now he's on this uh, caravan that's going back up north. And he and his family are now slaves. And then we're going to watch Abram's response. But before we dig into Abram's response to all these crazy events that are happening, I want to mention something very briefly. I want to mention the fact that the heart of Abram is in a really amazing place at this point. And it's in an amazing place because at the end of chapter 13, which we read last week, Abram builds an altar to the Lord and fellowships with God at that altar. One of the things you've got to notice about altars, hashtag altar life, I actually think it's a really cool hashtag if you want to use it. Hashtag altar life, not salt life, you know, not mountain life, not mountain living. Hashtag altar life. That's what Abram was living. He was living altar life. And what I mean by that is, there's only three instances of altars being built in Genesis up to this point. One was with Noah, two were with Abram. And the whole point was, well, let's go back to Noah for a second. God says, before the flood, I don't know if you've ever heard of the story of Noah, there's this big flood that came. And God says before the flood, he says, every inclination of mankind is evil all the time. I'm going to destroy by a flood the whole earth. But I'm going to get this really good guy, and his name's Noah. He's a man who's found favor. His family has found favor in my sight. I'm going to stick him on this really big boat, and they're going to float around for about 120 days. And then they're going to get off the boat, and then I'm going to kind of start over. Right? Start over. And so you'd think, okay, if we're starting over, this is really good news because... Noah's kind of a good guy. His family, kind of good people. So finally, God's going to get some good people living on the land, and it's going to be all good for humanity after this point, right? Well, no. Noah gets off of the ark, and the Bible says the first thing he does in chapter 8 of Genesis is he builds an altar. He builds an altar, and he sacrifices clean animals on that altar, and it says God smelled the aroma and was pleased. And then, here's the, here's the important phrase, y'all. Here's the important phrase. God says, okay, I smell that aroma. And you know what? Despite the fact 
that every inclination of men and women from childhood is evil, I will never again destroy the world. Hashtag alter life. The point is, there aren't good people on the earth now, now that Noah's out of the boat. It's all by grace. All by grace. It's always been by grace. This is grace in the Old Testament. We see lots of grace in the New Testament, but it always was by grace. Always. And that's exactly what Abram is experiencing here. Hashtag altar life. It's by grace. He has just experienced a profound period of God's grace. He built an altar at the end of the last chapter. He is living, y'all, he is living under grace. And his heart is in a really incredible place. That's the way to live, right? The way to live is under grace. Grace changes everything. It's in your outline, if you want to take notes. It's in your outline. Grace changes everything. Lot has been captured. His family is in this caravan going up north. He is screwed, right? I mean, he's going into slavery. His entire family is going into slavery. Bad news bears. So, I would expect Abram, who just gave Lot the best parcel of land, Lot basically rejected him as patriarch of the family and said, I'm going to take all the good stuff for myself. Here's what we would expect Abram to respond with. (laughs) Just desserts. (laughs) That dude is getting what he deserved, right? He picked all the best land for himself. Lot was super selfish. He went after everything that was gold and shiny, and he was not nice in any way to Abram. And so we would expect, we would, we would think that he would say to him, serves him right. Serves him right. I've got to save my own skin. I've got to get away from these kings. I've got to build up my own little army. But what is Abram's response to the fact that Lot has been captured? What's his response? Does anybody remember from the passage? He gathers up 318 of his best trained green berets and he goes and chases after Lot. And he goes in the middle of the night and they split him into two parties. And in the middle of the night, the Lord, who is the one with all strength, as we see throughout Genesis, the Lord helps him rout Kedolomer. That's one of the kings we read about, Kedolomer. He routes Kedolomer. He saves Lot and he brings him back. That's our first principle about grace today. Y'all, when grace has captured a heart, hashtag altar life, there's rescue. There's always rescue. The world around us, or a life, anybody's life, who has not been touched by grace, the, the operational MO, and y'all, I've been here. I think this sometimes, okay? I'm just, let's be perfectly honest. Serves them right. Serves them right. I gotta save my own skin. Y'all, I feel like sometimes we live in a country that is living under the banner of a principle in that nature. Serves them right. Right? You see it from the right, you see it from the left, you see it from every sort of stripe of person, every tribe on in our country right now. You hear it, you see it on the news. Serves them right. I gotta save my own skin. That is the theme of the world around us, y'all. It's tough. And I sometimes get sucked into that myself. Right? I mean, one of the most 
potent examples of this. And y'all, I normally never talk about politics up here because I know we have people in here who are on both sides of the aisle. But this one, I think, is kind of, it's united people. So I'm going to go ahead and throw out some politics. Uh-oh. Go ahead and talk to me afterwards. You got my phone number. Call me. But I was really encouraged to see Trump reverse the like splitting up of the families uh, for you know for um, the refugees for the for the I- illegal immigrants that have come to the country. And here's why: again, not I'm not for or against Trump here. Okay, we're not. We're just I'm just explaining this one incident. I have to be clear on this. I have to be careful. The reason I was excited to see was splitting up those families, those illegal immigrant families, in my opinion, falls into this principle. And I saw a Facebook post to this effect. Serves them right. I got to save my own skin. Right? That's the whole attitude there is we got to save our own skin. We got to look out for ourselves. We got to be careful. Serves them right. Again, that's just one example. And thankfully, there was a whole cacophony of voices from the church that were in agreement upon this of like, this is not good. (laughs) This is not good. Why? Why did the church come and begin to say something like that to this issue? Why? Because of grace. Because, y'all, grace means rescue. That's what we're seeing from Abraham here. Grace leads to rescue. Let me give a couple of examples of that. Well, before I give a couple examples, let's read about what Abram does. Verse 14 of chapter 14. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out, he does not hesitate. He called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. We must be like Abram. When grace gets a grip on our heart, when we realize, hey, guess what? God has rescued me. That's the idea of the altar. That's the idea of something else or someone else being sacrificed instead of me. I don't have to die because someone else did. Something else did. That is called rescue. (laughs) And so uh, Abram, Abram having the attitude of rescue is him just responding to the fact that he has already been rescued by God. You know, a few ways that I have seen people full of grace rescue. The first one is this thing called International Justice Mission. Y'all ever heard of this? We used to do a 5K when I used to live in Lexington for the International Justice Mission. But it's basically a bunch of lawyers who pro bono go and try to free people from the sex trade here in the U.S. and abroad and throughout the world. It is a beautiful picture of people banding together under the banner of grace, the grace of God, and freeing those who have been enslaved. And that's a literal slavery, y'all. But there's, there's a figurative slavery, too. But think of any sort of like addiction recovery, right? Opioids is the big thing now in America. But think about alcohol. Think about you know, pornography. Think about whatever uh, these addictions are, which is essentially a form of slavery. That's the way the Bible teaches about these different things. Right? The church has always been, thank the Lord, the church has always been quick to respond, to, to help people, to help bring people out of the slavery of these different things. Because again, grace rescues. That's what it does. Grace rescues. Last, last example. 
and most potent example uh, for me. There's this cult out in Oregon called Rashnish Param. You ever heard of this? It was in the 80s. There's a Netflix special. Uh, if, just look up Rajneesh Param. But it was a massive cult, and people had gotten sucked into it and were basically slaves. It's scary. You'll watch the movie. But what's so cool about it is the fact that God rescued Rajneesh Param. Not only did, was there internal conflict that blew up the entire cult, but at the end of the... I'm going to ruin it for you to some degree, but whatever. Sorry. At the end of this Netflix special... You watch this compound, and I mean, they built this massive compound in the middle of Oregon in this beautiful mountain country and had buildings everywhere, and they had like huge gathering halls, and it was incredible. And then at the very end of the show, they show people going down slides and splashing into water. They show all these kids running around singing and throwing their hands in the air. And what I discovered at the end of the... I'd watched, you know, six hours of this Netflix documentary about this horrible cult that had taken over, you know, this entire region of Oregon. And what do I discover? Their compound is now a young life camp. It was gifted... A billionaire bought the compound and then gifted it to Young Life, which is a uh, ministry to high school students that teaches and preaches about Jesus and the grace of God that comes through Jesus. Beautiful picture of grace rescues. Grace rescues. Okay, let's move on. The next thing that we find from this passage is that Abram routes Kedalamer. He gets Lot. He gets Lot's family. Yay. Woohoo! You know, plot is getting better. You know, we got a little twist here. They're coming back into town. And then he's going to drop off Lot and his family. And he's going to drop off more than that. Because Abram had gotten basically millions of dollars and a ton of people as he routed Kedorlamer. So he's got millions of dollars of stuff. And he's got all these cattle. And he's got all these people. And he's coming back down through the valley. And the king of Sodom comes out. He's like, yay, thanks. <laughs> Your green berets are amazing. Thank you, Abram. And he's like, hey, you know what? We're so thankful. If you'll, just, if you'll just give me the people that you brought back, Lot and his family and all these others, and we'll get them back settled into my town of Sodom. It's going to be wonderful. I'm going to give you all that stuff. Millions and millions of dollars worth of stuff is yours to keep. And Abram's like, this is what's so amazing. He's like, you keep it all. I don't need it. Y'all, if he had kept his plunder from this route down this valley, Abram would have been the most powerful man in all of Canaan. The story of Abram's life, of Abraham's life, would have been completely different than what we read about in the Bible. But the principle at work, what's happening here as he interacts with the king of Sodom, is that Abram is experiencing the grace of God changing the desires of his heart. Last week, we talked about the fact that Lot goes after what his eyes see. He goes after money. He goes after power. He goes after possessions. Lot goes for the rich stuff. He moves into the city of Sodom, right? But Abram takes a whole different route. Abram goes a different way and follows the Lord. He's in fellowship with God. And he's found something greater than money. And that's exactly what you're seeing here. Again, hashtag altar life. Abram's experiencing the grace of God in powerful and profound ways. And he says, I don't need it. Y'all, that's a, I don't, I'm not sure you can, it's hard for us nowadays 
to comprehend what he was saying no to. Like, he was going to rule the land if he had kept everything, all the plunder he had got from defeating Kedolamr, this king, this powerful northern king. And he says, nope. Let's read what he says. It's really important what he says. Abram said to the king of Sodom, this is verse 22. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that, my, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who are with me, to Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre. Let them have their share. His desire, as we read from his, his response to the king of Sodom, his desire is to honor God above everything else, above his own gain, above what he could, the power that he could possess in that land. He says, I want to honor, my desire is to honor God above all these things. And he, 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 he expresses this beautifully. He uses terms like the Lord, which is all caps, which means Yahweh. That's the personal name. He, he's experienced God's grace, and he's using God's very intimate personal name here. He says Yahweh. God's faithfulness, graciousness, and dependability is what I've got. And he says also God most high, the God who is all-powerful, the one who has true strength above all other gods. And then he says the creator of heaven and earth, the one God who alone made all things and owns all things, and I don't need your things. Thank you very much, King of Sodom. I don't need your things. Y'all, this is what grace does in a life. It's what grace is still doing in lives even today. It changes desires. I don't have to have that thing to make my life complete. I don't have to have those riches. I don't have to have that wealth. I don't have to have that next uh, promotion. I've got something greater. Y'all, let's talk for just a minute. This is the final point. Let's talk for just a minute about money. I like money. (laughs) I don't know where you're at. Money's great. It does bring things like Security, right? Security is nice. Freedom. Money brings freedom. You can go where you want, do what you want, buy what you want. Who doesn't want that? And also it brings pleasure. I can finally buy those things that my heart has wanted so much. Money's pretty great. So why in the world would Abram refuse it? This makes no sense. Because what he's discovering by God's grace, hashtag alter life, What he's discovering by God's grace is that he has a greater security, a greater freedom, and a greater pleasure than what money could bring him. Think about a minute, think for a minute about the security of money. It does bring security. It really does. But as we all know, your health can be taken away in a second. Your bank account can be drained in five seconds. (laughs) These things are fleeting the, the security of money is an illusion. The freedom of money, as we all know, like the guys that my dad worked for, he's a banker. And because my dad's a banker, he was often in like a, a like president role of, of a particular bank. These were all kind of regional local banks. But the men, we have stories, we have a whole slew of stories of the owners of banks that he worked for. And man, there's some stories. Why do I say that? Because it was a series of people who not only had a lot of possessions, but who were possessed by their possessions. Driven, driven 
to crush the people underneath them. It was wild, as we would recount sort of owner after owner after owner after owner after owner. Uh, It was a fascinating thing to watch, as that freedom that money brings no longer gave these people freedom. And then lastly, pleasure. I get it. (laughs) I mean, we live in America, y'all. I want to buy stuff. It's pleasurable. I mean, I want to go to Target, Hunter Wright. I mean, we want to go to Target. We want to go to Walmart. We want to go to Toys R Us, which is closing in two days, by the way. I know. You better go now. I like the pleasure that money brings. But what Abram was experiencing, hashtag altered life, was the fact that God's grace, the fact that knowing that he was loved, that he was accepted, that he was brought into close fellowship with God, was actually a pleasure that cannot be found at the altar of the mall. We've all looked there. I've looked there. I've gone to the mall and been like, this is the altar I'm going to worship at. This is where I'm going to finally find what I'm looking for. And then I don't. And I'm disappointed once again. And I keep looking around. But Abram, again, Abram had discovered something different. Abram had discovered grace. And we see that grace finally and most importantly in his last encounter in Genesis chapter 14. There's this guy, he, this, this king comes up to him. And his name's Melchizedek. We know very little about Melchizedek except for what later on in the Bible we're taught about him. Psalm 110 and Hebrews 7 teaches us about Melchizedek. And you know what Melchizedek is? A picture of Jesus Christ. Right here in the Old Testament, Melchizedek, you can read it in Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 talks about the fact that Melchizedek, his name means king of righteousness and also king of peace. That's what king of Salem means, king of peace. Not only that, but we read about Melchizedek being a priest who would reign forever as a priest. He would, he would live forever. And then we read about Melchizedek, the fact that unlike the other high priests, he does not need to sacrifice every day. Because again, he's a, he is a priest forever. So Melchizedek is this incredible picture of Jesus. How, what's the connection? Right here. Right here. This is our, just as Abram, at the end of chapter 13, at the beginning of chapter 13, and in all the chapters we're going to see coming forward in Genesis, he goes to the altar of the Lord, and he realizes that his goodness, his acceptance, his love is only through the altar as he sacrifices. Not because he's perfect, not because he's super faithful to God. Nope, he fails all the time. But he knows that the love of God comes to him through the altar. Hashtag altar life. Y'all, this is our altar right here. That's why we still celebrate the Lord's Supper. Just like Melchizedek, Jesus was the once for all sacrifice for sin. This is our access to the love of the Father. It's always through and mediated by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And my prayer, my hope, is that each of us today, as we experience the grace of God displayed right here in visible form for us this morning, that we would also experience altar, 
hashtag altar life for our own. Who do you know that needs rescue? Where is God calling you to rescue? Where is God calling you to change some of the desires in your life? Or where is he already at work changing some of those desires to honor him and to love him? And lastly, what are you relying on for your goodness? What are you relying on to take away your shame? What are you relying on to take away your guilt? Is it the altar or is it your own efforts? My prayer for our church is that it would always be the altar. That's why we, that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week. That we can remember that Jesus was sacrificed for us. And that because of that, we continually and forever have the grace of God upon us. Let's pray. Lord God, we are not good enough. We are not faithful. We are not perfect. Lord, we struggle. We chase money. We chase idols. Lord, we chase lots of things. But thanks be to you that you forgive and that you bring us back to yourself. Just like you brought Abram back to yourself, Lord, at the altar, we pray that you would bring us this morning back to yourself at the altar. That we would, we would freshly this morning remember that you died for us. You died for me and me and me, Lord. You did this for us. Lord, I pray that grace would flow into our souls, that grace would push us out to love on this world around us, and that your grace would be our greatest joy and delight this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you never, ever leave us alone. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So here it is. Our hashtag altar life is right here on this table. And we get to experience what Jesus uh, helped his disciples experience when he was in the upper room. And he, and he looked at his disciples who were all sitting around him and he said, this right here, this, this is my body. And my body is going to be broken for you. I want you to keep on eating this meal in remembrance of the fact that I was sacrificed for you. I was broken for you. And we would ask that if you have not placed your faith in Jesus alone for salvation, that you would let the elements pass by and spend some time in prayer, just thinking about how God might be moving in your life and how God might be drawing, him, drawing you to himself. But uh, this is a meal for those of you that know Jesus and are a member in good standing in a church. This is for you. Eat in delicious fellowship, both with Jesus and with one another. Amen. And if you would, just pull off a piece and we'll celebrate together after everybody's gotten some.